Now you're wondering, is that awful guy going to make me identify myself as a visitor? Not really, but some of you are. And you have no idea now what you've fallen into, because here I am and I'm going to preach. You have no idea if I'm going to preach for 10 minutes, 15, or an hour. (laughs) Some of you are thinking, you preach for an hour and I'm walking out. I don't care what my wife says. And that is the absolute truth. So no, I am not. So where do I start today? Well, maybe I should start with my shirt. You like my shirt? All right, there you can see my shirt. Now, where did my shirt come from? My shirt came from Tanzania. And I help with a little mission, and so we do some training, and it's primarily a Muslim village, and so we do training, carpentry for the guys, and uh, sewing for for the gals, those that would like to come. And I was able to visit there last year. Um, and while I was there, they presented me. This is the second one. The first one they presented me would have fit you. Yeah, you who are going to read scripture here in two minutes. So, all right. So that was pretty funny. I just held it up and I said, nice try. <laughs> and then they made this one uh, for me. And so I don't wear it very often because it does rather grab the attention. Um, but it is unbelievably comfortable. So, this morning, we're going to continue with our series, and before I start, we're going to have scripture reading, and uh, so our scripture reader, Micah, come on up, and he'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, you can read from down there, that's fine, or up here, wherever, you, wherever you're more comfortable. There you go. got an orange light. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well through thought out by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Decons li- likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear con- conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as decons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, or sober, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let decons be, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as decons gain a good stand, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that that is Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Thank you very much. And there's a sign-up sheet so you can take your turn. Today we're going to continue in a series and where our series here has been taken directly out of this little book and it's called I Am a Church Member. And the first thing we started with is there are church members and then there are a lot of fans. And so a functional church member is involved in doing something. A fan is somebody who go, you know, you go and watch the professional football game. That does not make you a professional football player. It just means you sat and watched. And uh, that was fun too. But, and so we are now up to the chapter where we are going to be talking about prayer. And so the, the title this morning is, I Will Pray for My Shepherds. Now in the book it actually says for my church leaders, for my pastor. I just decided to change it to shepherds because it's not about, and you're, this is the direction you guys, it's not about one guy. Um, and it is about those who are in leadership. And so we're going to pray. But I thought, what are we going to you know, talk about when we do this? How hard is it? And I, 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 before I forget, I want to say there'll be a gentleman at the back of the church when you're leaving, and he'll be handing out one little piece of paper. And I hope you take it with you, put it in your Bible, put it in your pocket. You'll forget it in your car, and that you find it six months from now when you need to, and that it will be an inspiration to you. Prayer. Why do we pray? And I was going to read, the whole, there's a whole section in this chapter 4 here uh, about um, the beginning. And I know we've asked everybody to read it, and so, um, but I'm not quite so dumb as to think all of you actually do. Um, however, you might want to. I was going to read the whole thing, but because of time, I'm not going to. But I will tell you, it tells the story of a day in the pastor's life. And there are days, and then there are days. Now, I know the story of a pastor who came to a new church, and he got up on Sunday, and he didn't really have much time because it was his first week there, and he had to catch up with other stuff, so he, 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 he just preached the sermon he had prepared, and it was okay. And, and the next Sunday came around, and he'd been so busy, he had, to, he had a wedding, and he had two funerals. He didn't have time for another one, so he decided, I'll just preach the same sermon again. So he preached it again, and the people thought, well, that's kind of odd, you know, I mean, but, and so the third Sunday rolled around, and he'd been sick, so he preached it the third time. And so the people, it's kind of crazy, and they talked to the leadership, and the leadership told the superintendent, and said, hey, what is it with this guy? He's been here three Sundays, and he's preached the same sermon three times. And the superintendent well, said, well, that's very interesting, what's the sermon about? And they said, well... Well, I, well I, I don't really remember, but it's been three times. He said, well, why don't we let him preach it a fourth time then? <laughs> you think about that for a while. Wouldn't it be fun to give a little test on the way out the door, what you actually learned or remembered? I hope you remember at least one thing from today, and uh, we'll hope that it does happen. Today, we're going to start with a very familiar prayer in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, we present, or, or the Lord Jesus is asked about prayer, and he responds with what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, we often, in different churches, have different styles. Some churches, you're going to repeat the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. 
then you're going to go to a Baptist church where some of you don't even know it because you don't repeat it. Now, I'm going to read it in this translation. Actually, I'm just going to say it, and those of you who know it can follow along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver us from evil. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, you're teaching her well. She's got that part down. That is a... Sir, a sermon in and of itself. I could stand up here and say, say free, you know, pray for your new pastor. Pray for your new pastor. Pray for your new pastor. I can say that 27 times. But I want to talk today about, first of all, how we pray when we pray. You ever, you ever think, well, I should pray, but I don't know what to pray. Well, I'll just start talking. But how do we pray? And here's a pattern for it. In verse 9, we start out with our Father that's in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's adoration of God. Always remember who you're praying to. You're not praying to the big man upstairs, your buddy at the bar. You're praying to the God of the universe. In verse 10, we put ourselves then in subjection to his will. It's not my will be done. You want to have an enjoyable prayer life? Start it out with, Lord, I don't know how to pray for Micah. You were probably a little nervous about reading. I don't know, but you did a great job. But okay, I want to, Micah, I don't, I don't know about your life. I don't know, so I'm going to pray for you this week. I'm going to pray this, Lord, your will be done in Micah's life. Now, that'd be a pretty good thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, that's where we start. It's not where we end. It's not my will, it's thy will. Some of you, when you were in high school, desperately prayed that Susie would fall in love with you and 25 years later you ran into her at the high school reunion and you said thank you Lord that she did not and then there were several of you praying about old Bob you saw old Bob and Bob was you know 25 years later no teeth but a friendly guy and you said no and that's why we pray because we have all these thoughts in our minds and things like that but it's not our will it's thy will and then verses 11 to 13 in the, in the Lord's Prayer, pray about what we ask for. We're bowing down. I don't have it. We're saying our physical needs. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. It's not that we're greedy. We're acknowledging that without God, we aren't going to have it. We pray then for our spiritual needs and forgive us our trespasses or Debts, as it says in this translation, as we forgive our debtors. We are all sinners. We're all, we all tell lies occasionally. We all are hypocrites once in a while. I've told the story before. I had an uncle that wouldn't go to church because he always said, well, that's just full of hypocrites. And when I was 10, I thought it was cute. So I said to him one time, well, I said, that's fine. But I asked the pastor and he said, there's room for one more so you can come. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny, but... We pray for spiritual health. We pray for spiritual protection. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we close with the words of praise. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
And we put ourselves then in subjection to his will. That's the how. We're starting out with adoration. We're saying, Lord, it's your way, not my way. We're asking things of him, and we're closing with a thank you. It's called being polite. That's the how. But what about the why? Why do we pray? When I was going through ordination at the First Baptist Church of Sibley, Iowa, I was asked, it was a very interesting day. I was young, dumb, I didn't know what I was doing. But I was there, and they suggested I do it, and so here I was. And so one gentleman got up and said, well, Daniel, uh, how do you put together the free will of man, the sovereignty of God, and intercessory prayer? Now, if you think about that for a while, you'll just go nuts. And, oh, boy, I tried to answer that and went around in this way and that and finished up and... and uh, that was the last question, and I thought, man, I don't know now what's going to happen. There were a bunch of pastors there. And so just before they broke, so I would leave and they would vote, there was a re really old guy in the back. <laughs> He's not as old as I thought he was then, probably. But anyway, he was, close, he was in his 80s. And he stood up, and he said, now, Daniel, before you go out, I have something to say. And he said, by the way, that, that answer, that was okay. Um... But uh, he said, do you know who I am? I said, well, no, I don't have a clue who you are. I, I don't know who you are. And uh, he told me his name. He said, my name is Percy Bruns. And he said, your grandpa and I are cousins. Uh, and my grandfather had died years before. He said, I've been a pastor now 60 years. So now that's what I had to say to you. So your family's on your side. Now, he said, I've been to many of these ordinations. And... He said, I've never been, he said, and everyone, it never fails that there are some young pastors here who ask questions to embarrass the candidate, not to affirm him in his faith. And I haven't been disappointed today either, have I, gentlemen? And there's dead silence in the room, and I'm thinking, why are you doing this at my thing? <laughs> Obviously, it all turned out, but afterwards, <laughs> he talked to me, he said, Daniel, the answer to that question is, I don't put it together, I believe it. Because we come in faith. And some things are very hard to understand. Why, why do we pray? If God is all-powerful, well, we pray because it is part of his plan. And you're on the team. You are his child. You're on the team. He calls you to pray. And that is why we do it. Now, Micah did a great job reading in Timothy. And I want to point out a few verses there that where he read. In chapter 3, in Timothy, verse Timothy. Your pastor is coming, so now I'm going to really focus in on the pastor. So why are you going to pray for that pastor? Well, one, here in Scripture it says, a pastor must be above reproach. What does that mean? Above reproach. Now that's a pretty high standard. That's not just a blue ribbon at the fair. That is grand champion among the best, above reproach. How are you going to get there? How many of you would stand up and say, yep, I'm, 
and I'll just do okay, anybody here who's above reproach, would you please stand up now and identify yourself as a prideful above reproach person? No. That's a very high standard, and that's what God is calling shepherds or the pastor to be. It also says he should manage his household well. Well, that's easy, isn't it? Thor, you can manage your wife, can't you? No problem? Sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You betcha. And uh, how about your children? Yeah. They're, they're just the whole time. Yeah. You're a good girl, aren't you? All the time. Yep, that's what she says. And here's the problem with pastors, and you guys know it, is you also expect him to manage his lawn, his car, and his pants. He better wear the right kind of pants, and he better write the right kind of shirt, or I ain't liking that. Well, you see, all, all of the all of this requirements for a shepherd and, and the pastor who's going to come, and perhaps it will be Nathan, and if it is, I just want to tell you something. Please do not be carnivorous sheep. A shepherd takes care of sheep. Sheep eat grass. Do not eat your pastor. People do it all the time. Why do people leave the ministry? Because they're sick and tired of the gossip. We already covered that in a previous message. But there it is. Why do we pray for him? Because the standard is high on the spiritual side. He should manage his household well. But your standards are high. And how is he going to do that? And then if you move on to, in the same, in, in chapter 3, verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil, it says in my translation. I, for the life of me, do not understand why anybody at any time would go to a horror movie. Because it ain't fake, folks. I've lived out places where you it is not fake. And people go and see this stuff. Some of you do. You don't have to stand up and identify yourself. But I'm telling you, watch it, because the devil's snares are everywhere. He knows how to snare pastors with the cute little wife who is mistreated by her husband, and she really wants to talk to him, but let, let's no way. He can get snared up by not having enough money, so maybe overextends on his credit card, or maybe one day he's just had enough and he blows his cork in his front yard and everybody's talking about it. The devil snares. Now sometimes we pay the price for those. And I'm going to home in on this movie thing for a minute because it's a pet peeve of mine and See, I just am the fill-in pastor, so if you don't like it, fire me. <laughs> I'm 14 years old, living on the farm, and my buddy is 15. And he's a big, tall guy, and our parents went out for supper. And he said, I got the car, let's go to Worthington and go to the movie. Cool. It's Halloween. Some of you have seen that movie. I saw the movie too. I can still pull it all to mind. Sat there and watched that thing. I tell you what, we were big tough guys. We came out of there. We were so scared we hardly could get in the car. Then we go home. 
I had to get home before my parents. He had to go home. I was alone in this dark house. And I had to go to sleep. I'll tell you what, it was terrible. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and all through this movie, before he chopped somebody's head off, you could hear this breathing. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night. What do I hear? <laughs> and I mean to tell I, I finally decide I can't stand it anymore. It just goes on and I, I'm going to go out in the living room and I'm going to die. Because my bedroom was here, the living room was here, and my parents were in, in this other room there. And I finally, I made it across the living room, walked, got to my parents' room, looked in there, and there was my mom laying there snoring like crazy. <laughs> I have never been back. But I'm telling you, while that is funny, do you see, we play with that stuff. And, you're, and as a pastor, you're tempted to play with stuff, and you're tempted to play with stuff, and you better wise up and realize the devil has snares everywhere. And worse than that, he knows your weak spot. So watch out. And he knows your pastor's weak spot. Jesus called it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's either pride, money, or women. It's usually one of those things. Now now I'm talking about your pastor, and so why am I saying, well, why do we pray? Pray for your pastor. Pray for his spiritual protection. Will you pray for him because the standards that he's held to by the Lord are high, and you pray for him because you hold him to a higher standard. Even if you say you don't, you do. So pray for him. Encourage him. But right now we're talking about prayer. That is why we pray. Because the devil is a lion. And he's out and he's looking for whom he can devour. So watch out. Now we talked about the how, the why. Now we're going to talk about what. What do we pray for? Well, in the book of John, there's a little encouragement for our prayer life. If you think, well, I don't know if it's worth my time. In John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, it says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask. That's a promise. He doesn't lie. So when you pray, what are you going to pray? And here are just a list of things that I wrote down from my own experience. Yes, pray for your shepherds. Pray for them. Actually do it. Pray for his preaching. I love to preach. It is not always easy to sit down and work on a sermon. I have no idea what age the pastor will be. I'd like to see Thor working on a sermon at his kitchen table. But that's how it happens. You plan, but it don't happen that way. And it's, it is not easy to always be fresh and always be funny and have a good point. Pray for his family. Because that part of it isn't easy as well. 
to be the pastor's wife, the pastor's child, and be held to higher standards. But also, pray for the family's protection from the evil one. Pray for his physical health. Pray for his physical needs. Pray for his spiritual health. Pray for his mental health. Pray for his spiritual protection. I go back to this chapter 4 and say, read the introduction. You won't believe that day that really happened in the life of one pastor. So we've looked at, so far, the how we pray, the why we pray, the what we pray, and now when. Is there a better time to pray? How many here would uh, say, I'm a morning person? Raise your hand. All right. Now, I'd be interested to see if we could figure out if it's more of a male family. How about, who, who are night owls? You got some really good night owls here? Okay. Yep. I, uh, I, I'm a morning person. Um, you know, I get up and I, I'm happy in the morning. You know, you catch me after 9 o'clock at night, you'll think I've been drinking. Because I, I just don't make any sense. People are different. So is there a better time to pray? I don't really think there is. You know, God didn't say, you know, specifically. But I do want to look at uh, three, or a couple of examples here. In the Old Testament, Daniel, the prophet, of course, was known as a man of prayer. And in chapter 6, verse 10, in the book of Daniel, there's a plot against Daniel. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees, three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So Daniel didn't go out and pray to tick off the guys who were trying to plot against him. That was just his modus operandi. That's what he did. Three times a day he prayed. Well, what about the Lord Jesus? Well, if we, if we flip over to the book of Matthew... Um, and uh, in chapter 14, and there are many, many examples, of course, but I want to go to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. Daniel prayed three times a day. Jesus prayed all the time. How about you? How many times did you pray today? How many times do you pray during the week? Those prayers in the car are valid. Fireman prayers are valid as well. Lord, save me at this moment. Those are all valid. But what about talking to the Lord? How often do you pray? In Luke chapter 11, it gives us a kind of a pattern about how we continue. Um, and it says this, verses 5 and following. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me for his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and ask 
he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Uh, keep asking. We're talking about the pastor, the leaders of the church specifically this morning. But you've got to apply this in our lives. Are we people of prayer? How many times did you pray today? How many did you pray this week? And here is the pattern. Keep asking. Has God said no so far? Keep asking. If he says no until the day you die, so what? Keep asking. It's according to his will. We already learned that. But when do we pray? We keep asking. We keep seeking. We keep knocking. Now, one of the things I think happens is we don't pray because we don't think it matters. We don't pray because we think God doesn't answer prayers. God always answers prayers. He says yes, no, and wait. But he always answers. He always hears. You may not like his answer. Do your kids always like your answer? Uh, okay, that's what I thought. No. We don't like it. Can I? No. Why not? No. No. We don't like that. If it's yes, we like that. You know, but you know, our parents are, are wiser than we are. You know, as, as a kid, I, I, you know, I often ask my dad, hey, you know, can I take the tractor to school? No. He knew me. No. Why? No. He was smarter than I was. The same way the Lord, we ask him for things, and he says no. And we, we need to be thankful. So we have this thing, and we don't really think it matters because maybe we think God is not as powerful, and he really doesn't have things under control. He does. He does. He is not spooked or scared by what's happening in America today, and you shouldn't be either. Spend more time thinking about Jesus and less time watching the news. Spend more time reading your word and less time worrying about what your neighbor or their lifestyle or what they're saying or the cross on the hill or what. Just focus on your relationship with Christ. Others will begin to look at you and say, and if it's that good, I want some of that. I want to share a story with you about how God works. This comes from the, the late 40s. It's actually titled, It Happened on the Brooklyn Subway. There's a man on the subway. His name is Marcel Sternberger, and he decides that he is going to go visit his friend in Brooklyn. Now, he's never been to visit his friend in Brooklyn, but his friend is sick, and one day says, I need to go visit him. So he goes, and he gets on the subway. He gets on the subway. There's no place to sit. It's noon hour, really busy. But suddenly, a guy looks up, sees that it's his spot, jumps out of his seat, and Sternberger jumps into the seat, and he notices the guy beside him is reading a Hungarian newspaper. And it's really packed. He's got the paper open. So it wasn't very comfortable, and he thought, well, I'll talk to him. Maybe he'll close up his paper. And he said, I see you're reading a Hungarian newspaper. Yes, I am. Do you understand Hungarian? The guy looks at him and said, well, yes, I do. Well, why, why are you reading a Hungarian newspaper here? Well, he said, I, I, I'm looking for my wife. He said, you're looking for your wife? Where's your wife? Well, he said, that's what I don't know. Um, so he asked, and the guy tells him the story. He said, well, we were in Hungary, and the Germans came, and they took my wife, and they took her to a concentration camp, and I've never seen her since. And then right after that, the Russians came in, and I was conscripted to bury the German dead, and so I was two years in, in Russia 
and I came back, and, and I don't know where my wife is, but I knew she was sent to a, to a camp, and I thought, well, maybe the, the Americans liberated her, maybe she survived, and so if so, maybe they brought her to the United States, and if so, maybe they brought her to New York. So I'm looking for her. Well, how long have you been looking? Well, two years. But I'll just keep looking. And Sternberger thought, he sat there for a second, and he realized two weeks before he had been at a party, a meal that he had been invited to, and he had been introduced to this lady who he thought was fascinating, and she had been in a concentration camp, and she was Hungarian, but, and she had lost her husband. She didn't know whatever had happened to him. And he said to this guy, he said, well, what's your wife's name? And uh, he said, well, her name is Maria Paskin. Sternberger, the train stopped, and he said, get out with me. We're going to make a phone call. And he dialed the phone, and, and, and he dialed, and it was Maria Paskin he was dialing. He had said, just give me your phone number. If I ever hear anything about a guy like that, dials the number, she answers, and he says, Maria, I'm Mr. Sternberger. Do you remember me? Oh, yes, I remember you. She said, what, what is the name of your husband? And she said, well, my husband's name is Bella Paskin. And he turned and he said, sir, what is your name? And he said, I'm Bella Paskin. He said into the phone, Maria, you are about to experience the greatest miracle of your lifetime. And he handed him the phone. All that happened for the next few minutes was weeping. Now, do you want to argue with me and say that that all happened by chance? There is no way on God's green earth that happened by chance. That happened because two people trusted God. Yes, I understand they were Jewish, and I am not saying they were followers of Jesus. or any. I, I don't know any of that stuff, but there was only one way they were ever going to meet again, and that was the hand of God. And that is why, folks, we pray, because that is the God that we're praying to. I'm convinced that probably hundreds of those things have happened in your life, and you never are aware of it. All those times we're late getting out the door probably saved our life. All those times when Susie said no, she wouldn't go out with you, probably saved your life. And we don't even realize it, but that God of miracles is the one who's working. That God of miracles. You dedicated your baby this morning. You dedicated that baby to the God of miracles who has everything under control. That's what we do. There are some people here who can share stories about that. When we pray, amazing things happen. So please pray. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors. <laughs> pray for me in the meantime. Um, Oh, you can pray for me afterwards, too. But I will close with this. Good pastors don't happen. They are prayed that way. Will you pray for yours? Father God, thank you for your call in the word to talk to you, to pray with you. And Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives and your miraculous working day in and day out, whether we're aware of it or not. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.